Hi there, and welcome back to the show. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and we are back with a uh, pretty epic episode today. I, I got to tell you that much. Uh, my guest today is Del Bigtree. Uh, Del is uh, the producer of the movie Vaxxed or documentary Vaxxed, uh, which is a pretty controversial documentary that really sort of brought the vaccine discussion to where it is today. Um, this is a longer than usual episode because I really feel that the vaccine debate warrants um, a lot more time and a lot more of a nuanced uh, discussion. Um, you know, too often out there we see in the vaccine debates, uh, especially happening on social media, uh, very one-sided, very short, um, you know, almost as though people have already made up their mind and that's it. You know, no matter what you tell them, no matter what facts are presented, um, it's my mind is made up and you're not going to change my mind. And uh, I think that what you're going to get from today's episode is a lot more of a nuanced discussion. You're going to get uh, some facts, uh, a lot of facts uh, for that matter. Um, you're also going to find that... Dell makes a very, very compelling case and is very well researched and very well uh, articulated when it comes to the vaccine discussion. And what you're going to find and hear on this uh, episode is, you know, it points out some things that are that should be plainly obvious to everyone, yet somehow have just been completely glossed over. Uh, what you're also going to find is the heavy bias by mainstream media um, who have essentially been bought by pharmaceutical companies, by government uh, and so on. And you will hear towards the end of this episode uh, Dell's recent encounter um, in Canada where he actually got booted off um, at one of the biggest health shows in Canada. So he actually got pulled from the speaker list and you're going to hear that this was fueled um, by media mostly. Uh, and this is really, as far as I'm concerned, the, one of the big problems in the vaccine debate is there is no debate. Um, what we're finding is we're finding that anyone who believes that vaccines are not safe, um, that they cause injury and so on, are simply you know out of their minds, that they are quacks, that they are not science-based or researched or anything like that. And conversely, anyone who subscribes to the narrative coming out of pharmaceutical companies, media companies, and so on, uh, so long as you can buy that and get behind the quote-unquote science that's been pushed on us, uh, you are, you know, everything is in check and you have your ducks in a row. And this is the problem for me is that there is a one-sided um, narrative that's coming out um you know and and the other side of the conversation which is really what dell is presenting is not being represented accurately and it's not being rep represented fairly in fact the opposite is happening where we are now finding that anyone who opposes vaccination no matter how well researched you are you will effectively be squashed and you will be silenced this is now being adopted by social media platforms where facebook is now on the rampage uh, to eliminate and remove any anti-vaxxer groups from Facebook. Uh, Pinterest has already done the same thing. And so we're now finding that along with mainstream media, the social media platforms are also uh, attempting to silence uh, the vaccine debate, or should I say uh, the anti-vaxxer 
um, case or standpoint. And so when you look at the science, when you look at the studies, uh, when you look at the facts and information that have been hidden, oftentimes in plain sight, I think the one thing, and my hope for today as well, is that we should all come to the conclusion that the science is not settled. Right? And I don't think that either side of the debate is 100% wrong or right. Uh, I think that we need more studies. We need bona fide safety studies. There needs to be more transparency. And we, there needs to be uh, ob- objective scientists, uh, objective studies looking at this so that we can ultimately make informed choices as to what goes into our body. That's really all that most of us are looking for, right, is informed choices. You know, um, these are our children that we're talking about, our bodies that we're talking about. And people who have been injured by by vaccines, oftentimes there is no comeback. That's it. And you are uh, essentially disabled um, for life. And that's a tragedy. And these types of tragedies can be prevented with better more objective science that doesn't have an agenda behind it. So I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, This is definitely one that should get shared a lot, um, a lot of attention, a lot of discussion. Uh, So please, please, please uh, do share this with your friends, family, um, social networks, communities, whoever. And uh, as always, if you do enjoy today's show, please consider subscribing, commenting, leaving us a review and doing anything else you can to help me bring more guests like Dell. So without further ado, uh, here's today's guest, Dell Bigtree. Hey Dell, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, you're, you're one of those guests that I've wanted to have on the show for a really, really long time and serendipitously got put in touch through a mutual friend. So um, this has all happened really quickly, but um, I think the timing couldn't actually be perfect with everything that's going on in the world of uh, vaccines these days. So it is certainly a hot topic right now, especially, you know, obviously I live down here in, in America and uh, we have, you know, the government attempting to take away our rights to control our bodies and the bodies of our children in multiple states that, you know, so the way our system works is you were mandated to get received vaccines in order to send our children to school, but 47 states now still have, you know, exemptions, usually uh, a religious exemption at least, and then oftentimes uh, also a personal or philosophical exemption. Uh, and there's, you know, all across the country, they're trying to strip those exemptions away, uh, which I think is just, it, it's shocking to live in, in the modern age in what is supposed to be considered a free country and think that we aren't going to have control of our bodies. And I really think that's what this discussion needs to be for people. I think that, you know, we're being, you know, inundated with this terror of disease on our television, like measles as though it's the black plague, even though, you know, you look back just, you know, in the 1960s when the Brady Bunch episodes were all, you know, the kids all get measles and everybody's giggling themselves stupid. You know, we've, We've really rewritten the history of a of a, just a trivial childhood disease, and now it's like, oh my God, the end of the world is coming. Um, and all of that is a part of an agenda to get us to sign away our rights. And mm-hmm. you know, I always say to people, take the word vaccine out of it for a minute, and just think about the fact that what we are about to do 
is say that the government can inject us with whatever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants, and we don't think we should have a say in that. Um, I think if you, I mean, it's, it, you know, you look back at Germany and other countries that lost control or, or got someone in, into office that didn't end up having the interests of everybody in that nation. I mean, that's always possible. I think that, you know, in America, when we look at our history, our founding fathers pretty much warned us, you can't always count on the fact that your government is going to be there for you, that it's going to have the right intentions. You must always keep, the people must always stay in charge and, and keep the government on a leash. And the opposite is happening now where we're turning over all of our rights and putting the government in charge of everything. And I think that's just a really, really scary move. I mean, you know, just think about how many people think Trump is the most terrifying human being on earth. And I, you know, those same people, the ones that are pushing an agenda to force vaccinate and let the government do it. Who's going to be doing that? Do you really want Donald Trump to be the one injecting your child and you with whatever he thinks is necessary? People think I'm overstating that, but Donald Trump puts the head of our CDC in place, the head of the FDA. I mean, our president puts the head of our health departments in. So if you think that you're, you're, you're that close, and you know, I'm not saying Donald Trump's a bad guy, but I think he's a good example of someone that a lot of people question his ethics and moral standards. Imagine <laughs> if just... We go a few steps beyond that, a few steps worse. If we're capable of electing a Trump, what are we capable of? And we are going to put that person in charge of injecting us. That just seems insane to me. That yeah. seems like we've really lost our way. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's that. That's a great um, overview of where things are at. And I know we, we definitely are going to circle back to that because yep. there's been some real recent developments that I want to touch on today. But um, let's just hop right into the whole debate, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I think that um, as someone who works in the healthcare field, um, you know, alternative medicine, for lack of a better word, um, I've watched this debate just escalate over the last even two years. It, it, is, it is completely hyped out of proportion. Um, there are mega debates. I mean, people have lost family members, um, have literally cut off family members for their beliefs. So. Um, I want to sort of come back and talk about the two sort of main areas. Uh, one is efficacy, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a few sort of subheaders that fall under that. And then the other one, which is probably even bigger, is the whole safety concern. So yeah. um, let's start off with efficacy. And um, I'm just going to sort of throw it on you and uh, caveat this with one point. Last year's flu vaccine was only 10% effective. Right. So that's the flu vaccine. What does it look like as someone who studied this and has worked um, on documentaries and with Dr. Andrew Wakefield and so on? What does that really look like? How effective are vaccines um, in the grand scheme of things? Well, let me just say that of all the parts of this discussion, my, you know, the focus of my work has been on safety hmm. more than efficacy. Um, you know, all, you know, if people might recognize or, or should know that I, I made the film Baxed with Andy Wakefield. And I think that when you talk about a ramping up of this discussion, Baxed had a huge part in that. I think it really shifted this conversation and I think a lot of why that, why it shifted was so it allowed so many parents to recognize they weren't the only ones that had had this experience of having their child injured by a vaccine. The film sort of, uh, it, was, it was a coming out party uh, in a way for so many, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of parents around the world that were feeling very alone and saying, I thought I was the only one that had an injured child. And when we would travel around the country in America with the film, and we even came up into Canada a few times, mm -hmm. you know, I would always stand in the audience and say, you know, will ever, anyone with a vaccine injured child please stand up? And, you know, for the first half of a year, like, you know, three quarters of the entire room would stand up. And wow. it was like the oxygen would get sucked out of the room and they'd all look at each other and think, oh, my God, we're here. But just, you know, that's sort of the background of where I come from. And, and, and so out of that, I really started looking at safety. But I can talk to efficacy stuff. Because it's part of the conversation. Because you're right. The flu shot. I mean, look at the flu shot. The flu shot is 10% effective. Okay, down here in America, and, and, and this is something that people will say that somehow I'm misrepresenting the facts. That was stated by the public health officials, okay? So right. that's a fact. That's a, that's yeah. a public that's health fact. Journal publication, yeah. That's it, okay? So the vaccine was 10% effective. Now think about how much they pushed that vaccine. And one of the things I think is really ironic is that it, so many nurses are forced, and doctors, they're forced if they're working in hospitals to get a flu shot. And then in many hospitals, if they don't get a flu shot, then they're forced to wear a mask around everywhere. And so they kind of stand out. It's, a, it's like a scarlet letter in a way that, you know, oh, what, what's up with you? And they're wearing this mask everywhere. Well, think how ridiculous that is since, you know, they've decided I would rather my immune system stay strong and cranking and, and be, you know, as healthy and vibrant as it can be rather than get injected with a flu shot, which, by the way, is one of the only vaccines that still has mercury in it. Um, at least in America, more than I think more than half of the flu shots this year ended up having mercury in them. Thimerosal is the product that's, uh, you know, it's there to uh, keep any, you know, bacteria out, things like that. But anyway, but think about how ridiculous it is. So if I'm a nurse and I decide not to get the vaccine, I have to wear a mask all over the hospital. <laughs> but there, you know, of the 10 friends of mine, the 10 nurses next to me, nine of them are not going to have any, you know, titers from the flu shot. So nine of them are going to be just as contagious as potentially I would. Their immune system has been beat up by the vaccine and only one of them is actually safe. So we're putting this mask on somebody when nine out of 10 people should probably be wearing the mask too. You know what I mean? If, if, if it's really about safety and if it's really about efficacy, if it's really about taking care of the public, then with a vaccine that's only one out of 10 is working for, and you are concerned with the flu shot, everyone in the hospital should be wearing a mask. You know what I mean? So right. these well, types of things that I think just are ridiculous. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, and, and that sort of taps into one of the sort of big talking points. You know, you'll hear people say, uh, I don't want your unvaccinated child infecting my vaccinated child. And I'm sort of like, well, aren't you then admitting that the vaccine doesn't work? Because if you're vaccinated and you believe that it works, then surely you should have no problem with anyone being unvaccinated. And I actually recently found an insert. Um, I don't think it was an insert. I think it's a, um, it's from Johns Hopkins hospital. Yeah. Right? So it's a little leaflet that they give everyone yep. And for immunocompromised uh, patients. The, the person that you should stay away from is the person who just got vaccinated. Yeah. Because I mean, for two weeks they're contagious. So it's kind of, it's, it's interesting, right? That people just kind of gloss over that and, and don't even talk about it. And, and our health departments, at least in America, lie about that all the time. They'll say you cannot get the disease from a you know, vaccinated person. But if that's the case, you're right. If you go into any major cancer ward, 
you know, across, you know, in America on a door before you go in there for the really immunocompromised that are in the middle of, you know, really battling cancer. It says on the door, if you've been recently vaccinated or been around someone that's been recently vaccinated, do not enter here. Or if, you know, you guys, you don't have direct consumer marketing, right? So you don't get no. the drug ads we get here. That's amazing. It's fantastic. I mean, every time I come to the U.S., I'm like, oh, it's just it's a constant. It's just a constant. Well, here in America, you know, for all of these ads for like Humira and Plaxoriasis, these 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 immunosuppressants, um, the the ad will say, you know, tell your doctor if you've been recently vaccinated or been around someone that's recently vaccinated. Meaning, we this product is going to lower your immune system, and you should be worried about who someone that's just been vaccinated because they can spread a disease to you and your body will not be able to fight it. So we're being lied to about that. You know, many of the live virus vaccines, and that's the ones you have to worry about. You have to worry about an attenuated virus, but measles, mumps, rubella, varicella, you know, these live virus vaccines, those are the ones that end up being problematic. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's that's definitely one of the things no one ever wants to talk about. Yeah, well, and, and just to sort of add to that, um, you know, the idea of long-term immunity, right? You know, this obviously people back in the day before vaccines were even around, you know, we would acquire natural immunity. And once you had something like measles or chickenpox or whatever, you would have lifelong immunity. But with vaccines, we don't actually have that because you have to get booster shots, right? Um, I, you know, that's one of the things that really probably irritates me more than anything. When we are looking at laws taking away our rights to not vaccinate, you know, to me, I want perfect immunity. That's what I call it, perfect immunity. And perfect immunity only comes from having had the disease. And this idea of injected vaccines, no vaccine is lasting. You know, MMR is one of the longest lasting. They say it has maybe 10 years that it lasts. For a very rare part of the population, perhaps it can last as long as 20 years. And the way I back this up, and you can know this, is that you just simply have to look at the CDC adult schedule and you see two more MMR vaccines once we're adults because they know this. They know that every vaccine is wearing off. And, and you're right. You know, if you look at Washington right now where there's hysteria over measles and some of the articles I read, you know, one of the people before they knew they were contagious went to a stadium of 19,000 people, putting 19,000 people at risk. How did you put 19,000 people at risk if, you know, you're saying you have a 95% vaccine uptake in that state? If the vaccine works, as you pointed out, then what is your concern? Right. And, you know, one of the big proponents of vaccines in the world really is Dr. Paul Offit. You know, he made the rubella vaccine. He's very outspoken. He speaks for pharma all the time. He's always on the news saying everybody needs to get all their vaccines. Except, you know, in an interview, if you watch him and someone asks him about, you know, well, you know, when you're going to treat a child with titers, I think he's at the at shop at the uh, Children's Health of, of, of Philadelphia. You know, how do you, are you afraid to go in the room? He's like, oh, I'm not afraid. I don't have to be afraid. He literally says this. He brags about it. I don't have to be afraid because I have real immunity. I have, I got measles as a kid. And so like, unlike you, that you, you know, your titers aren't as strong and you have to be worried about it. I, I don't have to worry. I can walk right into any, any ward there is. Uh, how convenient. Right. How convenient. And, and I look at it and that's, we, we started saying, you know, hashtag, you know, I want offense immunity, offense immunity. Because why is he allowed to have the Ferrari of immunity and I'm getting stuck with a, you know, a Volkswagen bug? You know what I mean? I have mm -hmm. this crappy injected immunity that I have to keep injecting myself every 10 years. Whereas 
you know, and by the way, how many people report on being sick? And now they're saying you should you shouldn't be complaining about the fever you get when you get a vaccine. I mean, I'm going to get sick anyway. I'd rather have the disease for four days, be done with as a kid when it was the healthiest time to get it, and then move on with the rest of my life and never worry about it again. And it plays another part to this that nobody really thinks about, and that is that it's the it's the truly immune, the real immunity, the perfect immunity that actually gives us any uh, any possibility at herd immunity. And so many of the vaccines, the reason they thought they were going to last for life was because when they gave them, it looked like their titers were keeping up. But what they didn't realize is that it was the fully immune, the ones that had really had the disease that kept bumping into them and were sharing, you know, their, their, that sort of immune response and boosting each other naturally. Well, now that those people are dying off in America, the baby boomers, which is the largest population of America, uh, when they die, so will die perfect immunity. That pillar of fully immune people that are a wall against disease ever getting in, when they die, then we're going to drop down to this much weaker, you know, border wall. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, this is yeah, the border. Yeah. It's going to turn into the border fence. We once had a wall. It's about to turn into a fence that is porous and disease can pour through it because they cannot get a vaccine to last long enough. So everybody's like, you know, their vaccines are coming and going inside of them. They may not be immune. We're gonna, it's gonna be a disaster because we don't, and, and we should be celebrating those people that really get the disease and stand in our communities, really holding up true herd immunity. Uh, but we don't, instead we attack them and we want this lesser, weaker form of immunity that is just simply going to be dangerous. For so do you, do you feel, I mean, a couple of points there. Um, do you feel that obviously there's a large segment of the population now that are choosing not to vaccinate their children. Um, do you feel like that's going to be some kind of buffer? Um, like, like, like we will still be able to maintain some type of um, innate immunity as we've been talking about? Yeah, anyone that is really getting the disease is the mo is the only true buffer you have. That's what I'm saying. We should really yeah. be celebrating them. And you know, there's other problems that that you know people. You know, I see an article about a mom in Washington who's terrified to go out. She's in a measles area now, and they show her holding her new infant baby, and she doesn't want to go outside because she's terrified the measles will kill her baby. Now. There's, there's multiple parts to that discussion. It is true. You don't want, if your baby's under a year old, you don't want them getting the measles then. You want them getting the measles right around two and a half, three years old, then they're fine, new system's rocking. But mm -hmm. here's the problem. That baby historically was never at risk until now, and here's why. When you get, when a mother would get natural measles, when she was three or four or five years old and she got the measles and stayed home from school for four days, she carries a lifelong immunity. But better than that, she, she transfers that immunity mm -hmm. to her newborn baby. And so in the middle of measles outbreaks all over the world, we never saw babies die because babies had inborn immunity that lasted usually at least a year and a half. The mother was breastfeeding still. It could go to two, two and a half years old. Yeah. So babies were never at risk. It was only when pharma came in and tried to do what nature was doing so perfectly and got in the way of a disease that was truly not, and you can't say a disease that kills one in 500,000 is deadly. You know, that's insane. And that's, that is the stat. It was one in 500,000 died uh, from measles in America before the vaccine ever came along. 
And so what they did was they ruined per what nature was doing so well, which was protecting the babies by transferring that immunity through the mother who had had the disease as a child. When we started injecting people with the disease instead, and like I said, it wears off, we also took away that internal immune system mm. that could be transferred to the baby. So now every baby being born is at risk, and pharma is the reason we're there. This vaccine program is why, for the first time in history, we have susceptible babies. So it's just not as good. Across the board, vaccination was not the way to go. They've ruined you know, a really mm -hmm. strong immune nation, both here and in Canada. So, so, so what, what do you, what do you say? Cause I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of have, have the broader debate as well and bring up yep. common questions, right? So what would you say to people that are concerned about, um, real serious, uh, diseases, right? So let's say, um, polio, for example, um, let's say meningitis, you know, which can really, you know, in 24 to 48 hours, um, that's it, you know, it's all, it's all done and your child is, is going to die. So right. what do you say to people who are concerned about those types of illnesses and sort of say, well, look, you know, you need to get vaccinated because that's a very serious, I mean, measles, chicken pox, whatever, those are, as far as I'm concerned, somewhat, somewhat benign, um, but other more yes. serious, what, what do you, what do you say? What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, first of all, I would never tell anyone not to vaccinate. I would say that that's your choice as a parent. There's, there's yeah. risks to everything we do. You know, there are risks to, you know, it, you could be that one in 500,000 child that dies of measles. They probably were also suffering from cancer or something else that really had their immune system beat up that you would be a part of that number, but it's possible. You know, you have to weigh the risks and benefits of, of what you're doing. My issue is that no one is discussing the dangers of the vaccines themselves. Right. We, we're being sold on the fear of polio and the fear, I mean, I literally hear smallpox said all the time. Well, what about polio? What about smallpox? As though if I don't get my chickenpox vaccine, somehow smallpox is gonna return. You know, we don't get a smallpox vaccine, first of all. Everyone needs to know that. So we're, we're, no one's worried about a return of smallpox because it's gone. Now, polio, you know, that's a different discussion. And I think that what I would say about polio is there's multiple ways to look at it. But in the end, polio was a very scary disease in, in, a, in a short period of time. You know, all of a sudden, children were being paralyzed. It was, it was very scary across, you know, across the world. Mm -hmm. um, and in that crisis, we decided to create a vaccine and we made a vaccine for it. Now that vaccine was dangerous. It in fact gave polio to a lot of people. It started polio epidemics in areas that had not seen polio yet. So there were problems to it. That vaccine also ended up testing positive for simian retrovirus 40, which caused cancer in millions of people. They know it, it was an accident. When you're growing these viruses and bacteria and vaccines on animal products or on humans, the diseases those animals have can get into the vaccine. That's something we don't want to talk about either. So the, the vaccine killed a lot of people. It gave a lot of people cancer. It was very problematic, except, you know, we took on that risk saying we're in a very scary time. This is a very right. scary moment. It, so it's worth taking on that risk. The problem is they sell us every vaccine as though every vaccine is keeping us from the Black Plague or a polio event, and that's not the case. Rotavirus does not kill a single baby 
in a first world nation that has clean running water. I mean, if you, you know, it's basically diarrhea for three or four days. Yes, it's deadly in Africa. It's deadly in Africa if your baby has rotavirus and then there's no septic system and they just can't get over the, the illness. So I'm not arguing for the third world, but in the first world, you don't need a rotavirus vaccine. And that vaccine, by the way, can cause intussusception which means your baby's intestines roll over on themselves and it kills your baby. So, wow. so your doctor's not telling you, you are risking death from the vaccine for a disease that does not cause death in a first world nation, okay? Mm -hmm. These are the types of conversations that we should be having with our doctors. If it wasn't, it was more of a science, if it was more of a medicine than a religion, we could have a clearer understanding of the, the threats of both the disease and the threat of the vaccine. And that's the conversation that really should be happening. And it's, it's really mandated upon us by the Nuremberg Code. I mean, this is something I talk about a lot. Canada, America, we put on trial 16 doctors from the Third Reich that were doing insane testing on the Jews in, in, in concentration camps. And you know what? A lot of those tests were vaccine tests. They were injecting kids with all sorts of things and then putting them in the face of diseases and, and then doing crazy surgeries. I mean, just really a horrific, you know, these, I, think, I think every one of those doctors was put to death after the Nuremberg trial. But coming out of that trial, we came up with the Nuremberg Code. And the very first statement of the Nuremberg Code is informed consent, that it is absolutely essential that anyone that is going to be subjected to a medical practice or experiment, that they are fully informed of all of the benefits of that practice, all of the negatives and dangers, and then they make an informed decision. The Nuremberg Code was supposed to be held to by every free nation in the world, that never again will we let doctors even use coercion. It says, Coercion is illegal to use to force you to do something. Well, what is the threat of taking school away from your kid if it's not coercion? You cannot go to school if you don't get a vaccine. And so we've really misstepped. And, and one of the things I point out, and we'll get into safety later in this conversation, yeah. but there's never been a safety study using a double-blind placebo on any of the childhood vaccines we give our kids. That means that we truly are in, in an experiment, in a, one of the largest scientific mm -hmm. experiments in history. And so we are defying the Nuremberg Code. We are letting medical doctors just give us one side of the story. And the vaccine injuries are far more prolific than anyone wants to talk about and really, really scary and dangerous too. So we just need better information to make that decision. If you're afraid of polio, then, you know, I think that there is some efficacy to the polio vaccine. But just know it comes with dangers, too. Yeah. Well, and one of the things just on a sidebar, which is um, I find interesting anyway, you know, the, the whole idea, we'll talk safety in a minute, but the whole idea of which, which children can tolerate a vaccine, right? Because some kids, I mean, they get vaccinated, no problem at all, all all's well. And then right. you get other kids that have severe reactions immediately. And um, Dr. Martin Blazer wrote a really good book called Missing Microbes. And in that book, he talks about the microbiome and mm -hmm. the gut bacteria, right? So, you, you know, you now got all of these agricultural chemicals and pesticides. Um, we've got, you know, things that are wiping out our microbiome, antibiotics in food, um, prescription antibiotics, and so on. And so, and then when you couple that 
with, um, I think it's now 35% of women opting for cesarean section births. Mm -hmm. What starts to happen is you've got these kids that are being born with, a, with a, an incomplete microbiome, right? Or perhaps a better word is a microbiome that, are, that is not robust or not heavily populated. And those types of kids, because 70% of your immune system is in your gut, those types of kids, um, I, I, I don't want to say this is for sure, but this is something that's being put on the table, is mm -hmm. these types of kids are having negative reactions to vaccines. And if you don't have an intact microbiome, your immune system right out the gate is already weak. So it's kind of like a double whammy. Um, you know, your immune system's weak and now you're getting a vaccine on top of it, uh, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. So anyway, just a, a bit of a well, sidebar. I mean, well, no, but I think you're right. I mean, one of the things we have to think about is exactly that. First of all, what I find really fascinating about the microbiome, and by the way, that's not like all crazy hippie health anymore. All of the major science we are reading in, in British Medical Journal, in you know, New England Journal of Medicine, all over the world, more and more science is showing how important your microbiome is. It just came out, like they're really now stating your stomach is another brain. It's a brain mm -hmm. in your body is how they're referring to it. It has neurons. Um, you know, there's a great uh, a doctor down here I interviewed named Zach Bush that's doing a lot of amazing yeah. research on the microbiome, and it's fascinating. And, and you think about it, and so we're seeing studies that are showing that higher rates of depression, higher rates of schizophrenia, neurological disorders are all being, you know, attributed to your gut biome being you know, not functioning correctly. Uh, Zach Bush talks about the fact that I think it's like more than 80% of your serotonin is actually made in your stomach, not in your brain. This is something we're only now discovering. So we've been giving drugs to people that are depressed as though it's something going on in their brain when all along we probably needed to fix their diet and fix their gut biome and they would have been fine. So you're right. We're So I think it's twofold. We are all the vaccines, all the pesticides, all of these things are an insult upon the, the fetus and the mother's body. Um, and so I think there's two things there. I think that number one, you are right, the children are being born with probably an insufficient gut biome because they're only gonna take on whatever their mom has and their mom's being assaulted from every direction. Right. We also know that a modern baby, that when we test the umbilical cord, there's something like 165 uh, toxic chemicals found in the umbilical cord. So our children are being born already toxic. And I think this is something we should be considering too, because perhaps this vaccine program, which has exploded from in the 1980s, 10 vaccines by the time you're 18 to 72 vaccines now by the time you're 18. And we could get into the reasons for that explosion. But the point being that maybe that vaccine program would have been okay 100 years ago. 100 years ago before our gut biome had been destroyed, before aluminum was so prolific in, our, in everything we're doing. Mm -hmm. So now the aluminum in vaccines, which I think is going to be one of the real smoking guns when we look back at this historically, you know, people say, oh, it's a tiny amount of aluminum or it's not the poison, it's the, it's the quantity of the poison. Well, what happens if this baby is being born and on day one of life, they're already at the edge of being fully neurotoxic aluminum levels and you give them one vaccine with with like 10 times the right amount of aluminum top, ever approved yeah. you just throw them over the top mm -hmm. you know and so and i would also say that i don't think vaccines are the only problem or why we're seeing this rise in autoimmune disease and neurological disorders i just know it's the it's the most direct delivery system for the toxins we're trying to get out of our food our air our water you know 
Um, and, and so where are the environmentalists on that? I mean, that's what I get concerned with is why can't we get environmentalists to understand that vaccines are an environmental assault upon the body? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you bring up aluminum because um, I had on the show before uh, Professor Chris Exley um, from. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he's like the world's authority on aluminum. Right. And when I interviewed him on this show, uh, he I brought up the whole autism and aluminum uh, point. And he, he at that time said, you know what, I kind of sit on the fence with that. Like, yes, there's some things to suggest it. There's some other things that don't quite add up. And he recently changed his position, uh, which I thought well, was because he did the study. I mean, he did yeah. the study. You must have interviewed him before he got to dissect. He was, he was busy. You know, he, had just, he had just finished that one up. And he basically said that, I mean, simply put, uh, he did brain examinations on, on cadavers, right? So autistic yeah. individuals that had passed. And basically found that they had the highest levels of aluminum uh, of anyone. So even people with Alzheimer's disease yeah. or anything like sky high limits and every single one of them had that. So, the, you know, I asked him the question, like, well, where does it come from? And he's like, obviously, it comes from the environment. But consider the vaccine schedule, consider aluminum in vaccines. You know, how is it that such a young child has such high levels right out the gate? And, mm -hmm. you know, yes, environments, but the only other smoking gun has to be the vaccine. I mean, how else does well, it get? Well, and his studies are getting deeper and deeper on that. And he's been working with other scientists for the delivery system, the aluminum. One of the things that, and I've interviewed him too, amazing, amazing scientists. Yeah. And you have yeah. to recognize that these scientists don't step on a limb. They, you know, if you were talking to him and he's in the middle of the study, he's not going to speculate. He's going to just say, this is all that I found. Here's what I approved. And one of the things that's so scary is, you know, all of the Alzheimer's, he dissected a bunch of Alzheimer's brains. And so at that point, it was the highest levels of aluminum ever discovered. But all of those brains were averaging at about 65 years old. The aluminum in the 15-year-old autistic child that, he, you know, he got to look at that brain trumped the amount of aluminum in, in these 65-year-olds. Right. How was it getting to this child's brain so fast? And what he talks about, too, is the fact that it's, it's located different in the brain. The aluminum's inside the cells of the brain in autism and it was wrapped around the brain in Alzheimer's, which was showing us and the, the science is now looking at the glia is what we call it, that that when we're injecting the vaccine, the sort of the macrophage, the, the, the glia cells come and they eat up that aluminum to try and protect our body, but it's our white blood cells and they can't get it out of our body. And then the white blood cells travel up into the brain um, for healing and for strength, but they're carrying aluminum and depositing that right into the, the center of the brain. And more and more studies are showing from Roman Girardi's work in France. Um, Chris Shaw, you guys have got one of the great aluminum scientists up with Chris Shaw in British Columbia. It's been fantastic mm -hmm. work in animal models showing that when we eject the same amount of aluminum in a vaccine, we're seeing autism-like features in animals. So yeah. it's, it's and, really um, so, so um, just to sort of add to that, which was interesting, um, I had Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Um, I've mm. spoken on panel discussions with her and I've had her on the show as well. And one of the things, she was actually one of my first guests when I, when I first got the show going. And one of the things um, that has been shown now, she's obviously a glyphosate researcher, yes. Roundup researcher. That's her sort of area that she, she spends time in. And, um, you know, a couple of years back now, they found glyphosate in the vaccines, right? I'm not right. going to get into how that is, but it's the animal feed and the way that we yeah. make them. And so what her research is, is showing is that the glyphosate triggers leaky gut, 
mm-hmm. right? And, and, and then, of course, you've got the aluminum in there as well. So leaky gut equals leaky brain, as we were just discussing a minute ago. And so you're essentially, and then, of course, what do we feed our kids? We're feeding them wheat. We're feeding them all of these foods that are laced with glyphosate. So you essentially keep the gut leaky, keep the brain leaky, and you now have a persistent inflammatory neurological disorder, which is really what autism is. And, um, a, and a more direct delivery system for all the toxins that are in our food, air, and water. Right, That's because the gut is leaky. You've lost that right. protective barrier, right? right? And so it just, right. it's just this repetitive cycle that just keeps on going. And this yeah. is why with autism, you know, I've, I've helped quite a number of children with autism. And I tell you what, the dietary changes make the biggest difference right out the gate. Yep. It's like night and day, um, but I don't want to spend too much time on that. I, I want to. I really want to jump into the safety side of things. Um, All right. Before we do, there's one thing yeah. on efficacy. One we, one efficacy part I do really want to talk about because it's yeah, one please. of the vaccines that gets pushed on us a lot, and that's the DTAP vaccine, Tdap vaccine. We have a terror of of pertussis, of whooping cough, and it's it's one of the you know, along with measles, this is one that they try and terrify us with. We see ads. I'm sure you've seen the ads in your magazines of the big bad wolf that grandma, go, grandma's got to get her, her DTAP or Tdap vaccine before visiting the baby because she could be a carrier of whooping cough, right? Um, what we know, and this is the fact, and all of science knows it, they're not telling us. We actually have a lawsuit down here for false advertising uh, against GlaxoSmithKline for that ad using the Big Bad Wolf because here's what we do know. What we actually know is that there's a growing, that the epidemic of, of whooping cough is starting to grow again. It looked like the vaccine had worked and then now they don't know why, but now we're having more and more cases of pertussis uh, which you don't want your baby. You, know, you don't want your infant to get pertussis. It, you know, once they're, again, once they're one years old, it's an annoying cough. You know, we had it in our house. You get through it, but you don't want a, an infant fighting for their breath. So it's a very scary thing. But here's the problem. The vaccine doesn't actually stop transmission of the disease. All the vaccine does is protect the person who got the vaccine from the symptoms, which is the, you know, the lung issues and, and, and this, this horrific cough. And so this idea that to protect the baby, grandma or neighbors or whoever wants to visit should go out and get their pertussis vaccine through DTAP was diphtheria, tetanus, acellular pertussis, um, is actually wrong. The reason being that if grandma and grandpa get a cough, they're going to call and say, oh, I better, I shouldn't visit the baby. We got something going through the house right now, right? If they get that vaccine, they can be a carrier of pertussis and not know it. They are silent assassins coming to visit your baby. So once again, this is where pharma has really messed up. They have people running around transmitting a disease they don't even know they have. We can't even tell them, stay home. We can hear you've got a cough. We can't say in a school, you should stay home. They're spreading it to each other. They're spreading it all over. And it is, when you think about that immunosuppressed child at home or that baby at home, this vaccine is what is putting that baby in more harm's way than at least if we heard a cough, we say, all right, you shouldn't visit that family right now. So again, efficacy is, is really masked. Uh, in that vaccine, it's not efficacious in in terms of it, the ability to stop the transmission, and that's actually true also for the polio vaccine we're all receiving now in Canada and America. Mm-hmm. We are not using the polio vaccine that eradicated the disease because it was a dangerous vaccine. The whole cell, you know, the the live polio vaccine. Uh, because that vaccine, by the way, if the baby poops after getting it, that poop carries polio in the same way polio spreads. The only cases we're seeing in the world right now are 
polio strain, uh, the strain coming from the vaccine in third world countries where they're still using that old vaccine. But the point being, we're using a, you know, attenuated polio vaccine now, which only really protects our body, but we can still be a carrier. And should polio come back to the country uh, or enter this continent again, we would have to go back to the old vaccine to eradicate it once again. Mm. So, you know, I, 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 yeah. think, I, think, I think that's um, sort of glossed over by a lot of people. I think a lot of people just simply don't even get that you are a carrier because you have been vaccinated. Like they, it, right. it's, almost, it's almost just like not even part of the discussion, right? Um, at least what you see online. I mean, no one's even talking about that at all. It's simply, you know, it works and it's, it's safe because that's what we've been right. told. End of story. Well, I mean, and, and how many, I don't know if they're doing this in Canada, but all over the world and in America, they want to list how many people in each school aren't vaccinated, how many kids in age, as though that's some level of safety that someone say, hey, I don't want to send my kid there because there's unvaccinated kids in that school. But nobody, on the other hand, I would rather see a list today, Jimmy, you know, Shirley, and these 47 kids all got their vaccinations today. I'm going to keep my kid home from school. Right. Because <laughs> they are going to be shedding that disease all over that school. Why can't I get that list? If you want the list of the unvaccinated kids, which are running around healthy, bright-eyed, you know, with the strongest immune system known to man, you're worried about that. But I can't get a list when you go and vaccinate your kids and they're shedding it all over the school, all, wow. over, all over lunch plates and all, you know, in yeah. bathrooms. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of crazy when you put it that way, right? Yeah. Um, so so let's let's sort of hop into the second segment here and let's talk about safety because you know yeah. some of the stuff we've already touched on the aluminum the glyphosate and whatnot but in your mind you know what are the big discussions that are happening out there with regards to safety um, you know obviously we know that there's a lot of data that is simply not published um, a lot of the quote unquote safety studies um, that have been put out there are yeah. uh, you know funded by the pharmaceutical companies or basically conducted by the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And there's actually studies to show now that um, if, and I might botch the framing here, but basically if uh, a study is 30% is more likely to come out favorably if the doctor and the pharmaceutical companies are doing the study together, right? So basically yeah. if you're funding the study, there's a 30% higher likelihood that it's gonna come out to the results that you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, first of all, try and find a vaccine study that pharma's not involved in. I mean. Right. You, You'd be hard pressed to even see that nobody does it, uh, and there's reasons for that. But you, it, safety is my wheelhouse. I mean, this is yeah. what I travel the world talking about um, because it's it's where I got focused. I think I'm the only journalist that has ever focused on one subject like this: vaccine safety for the last three years of my life. Once we came out with vaxed. What bothered me was how many people would come up to us and say, you know, my child never even got the MMR vaccine, which is the central theme of VAX, was that a CDC whistleblower covered up, you know, a study looking at the MMR vaccine and autism. He and five scientists, he stepped forward as a whistleblower and said, we committed scientific fraud. We knew that vaccine was causing autism. We hid it from the public. Well, that's what the film was about. But everywhere we were traveling, people were saying, my child got autism before they even got the MMR vaccine. They got it from the DTaP vaccine. Or I think we should be looking at the hepatitis B vaccine. So it made me think, you know, and people would ask me, is it just the MMR vaccine? That's why I really started diving into safety on all the vaccines. Because I worked on the, the CBS talk show, The Doctors, for six years. That's what mm -hmm. really got me into this. I was a producer on one of the leading medical talk shows in the world. 
And all I did was celebrate great doctors, great medicine, great science. That was my background until I stumbled upon this whistleblower story. But we would always say on the show, vaccines are safe and effective. Vaccines are safe and effective. That's how you keep your child safe, 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 safe. So I wanted to look into, well, where are the studies? When the CDC says it's safe, what, are, what studies are they pointing to? Because every pediatrician, every doctor will say there's thousands of studies that have proven it's safe, thousands, millions, whatever, whatever the number they pull out. They don't show you a single one of those studies. In fact, if you ask them for it, they, can't, they don't even know what they're talking about. They're quoting, the CDC says there's thousands. They go, okay, there must be thousands. But no pediatrician you're meeting with actually has a study they can point to. And so I went and looked for those studies. And, and the background of this is that uh, when Donald Trump got elected, he, uh, it, many people might have seen up in Canada, CNN reported Bobby Kennedy, who's one of the great environmental lawyers of our time, son of the late Bobby Kennedy, who was brother of John F. Kennedy, mm -hmm. you know, the, a very powerful family in America. So Bobby Kennedy is an environmentalist had started looking at vaccines because he's always been trying to keep mercury out of, you know, the pollution and these, these plants that were dumping mercury in the water and the mercury gets in the fish and we eat the fish. So finally some parents said to him, you should really look at vaccines. There's mercury in vaccines. He backed his way into it. But when he finally looked at the levels, he said, oh my God, you're right. This is horrific. Hmm. So we have Bobby Kennedy on board. Bobby met with Donald Trump very early on and in the Trump Towers and came out and said to CNN, uh, Donald Trump wants me to head a vaccine safety commission. Well, in the usual Trump fashion, by the end of the day, that story was changing and oh no, we're not doing that. And I don't know what, what Bobby was thinking. But the truth is, is, is Donald Trump did set up a meeting with the National Institute of Health for Bobby Kennedy and a group of scientists and doctors, I was among them. And we put together what we called the Vaccine Safety Project. It was a, a PowerPoint that laid out all the issues that we saw with the safety of vaccines. And so we went to the National Institute of Health. There was a representative for uh, Donald, uh, Donald Trump, a man named Reed Cordish, one of his elected assistants uh, that oversaw the meeting. And it was all the top heads of our health department. Um, Francis Collins, who is the, the head of the NIH, the National Institute of Health, which is the largest funded medical body we have in our government. Um, um, Tony Fauci, head of infectious disease, you know, like 10 people, uh, specialists on disease. And we laid out all the issues that we saw. They were things like this. We said, we cannot find the scientific method by which we determine a drug is safe is the double-blind placebo study, where one group gets the drug in trial and the other group is getting a, a sugar pill, or if it's an injection, they're getting a saline injection. And then we follow with all the drugs that get approved, we follow those for five years, sometimes 10 years, mm -hmm. those two groups. And at the end of it, we ask questions like who had more cancer, who had mutagenic effects, did anyone get autoimmune diseases? And the scientists don't know, you know, who got what. The people in the trial don't know. It's double-blinded. That's what it means. Nobody yeah. knows who got what. And then in the end, we look at the computer model. We graph everybody out. And if the drug caused more cancer than the saline group or if it caused more, you know, mutations in your genes or autoimmune disease, then if they would say, oh, the drug's not approved. It, it wasn't safe. It wasn't as safe as the saline injection. It wasn't even close. So we said, we can't find that study being done for a single childhood vaccine. Is it either not, we've looked at all the manufacturer's records, we've looked at CDC websites and health and human services, and they, at one point they said, well, we do them just early on in trials. And it's like, so could you provide those to us so we can look at those, since that's the only way to say that they're safe? And then one of the top scientists blurts out and says, 
oh, we don't do placebo-based trials on vaccines because it would be unethical. That was the statement. Uh, huh. In this meeting, it would be unethical to do a safety study against a placebo group. And to explain that, what they mean is they have essentially a religious belief in vaccines, which is even, let's take, for instance, a novel vaccine, a brand new vaccine like HPV, the Gardasil vaccine, mm -hmm. that is supposed to protect against cervical cancer. That was the first time they were ever going to use a vaccine to do that. And so when you have a brand new concept, you should be testing against a placebo group to see if it causes problems in the trials. If you don't have a saline group, then you don't know how bad the injuries are. So if we look at the trials of HPV, what we see is they gave the group the vaccine, and then their placebo group received the aluminum, just a full shot of aluminum that was in the vaccine. Wow. That's what the placebo group got. Oh, man. And, so, and then when you look at the trial, 2.3% of those that got the vaccine had a systemic autoimmune disease within six months, a severe reaction 2.3 percent inside of six months guess what so did the aluminum group they had an identical 2.3 percent had an autoimmune uh, systemic reaction that led to long-term you know chronic illness but they said the vaccine was safe because the vaccine compared to what they said was a placebo look it, it was fine well we actually found that there was a tiny saline group it was the only one of its kind. No other vaccine even has one at all. But the Gardasil vaccine had about 500 people that did receive a saline injection, but they hid it from the public. They hid the results of that, and we spent, it took us three months to finally dig it out. And you know what we found? Systemic autoimmune reaction in the saline group, 0%. That means that if you had compared the Gardasil vaccine to an actual saline placebo, which you did have, then you would have seen that there was a 2.3% increase or 200% increase in autoimmune disease in those that got the vaccine. And the death rate in that trial was higher than any, any trial we've ever seen. You were more likely to die receiving being in that trial than ever getting HPV cancer. You know, so, the, so these are the things that we looked at. And when they say it's unethical to do it, I just want to lay on that. They say it's unethical to have a placebo group of girls that are not receiving this great new vaccine that we've just created. So to have them spend six months, or really what we would want is three years, five years, the same way a drug is done, you should have to run a trial to see, did those girls get autoimmune diseases? Because that's what we're seeing in society. Well, they never do that study. They, it would be unethical to do it. In fact, but what they think is ethical is to take a product that therefore has never been tested for safety and give it to everyone in Canada, yeah, which everyone is, in America, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, no, that, somehow that's, that's ethical. No, that, that, that's pretty mind blowing actually that it's unethical not to give you the vaccine like that. Right. That's, that's a bizarre way of looking at ethics, right? I mean, it's one thing if you're trying to test a poison on someone like, yeah, right. it's unethical to see is this amount of mercury going to kill you? or cause neurotoxicity, right. that's unethical. But to say that to not give you a drug is unethical, right. that's kind right. of crazy. I mean, it's, it's complete so right. logic. A saline injection is unethical. Now, put in that, look at the hypocrisy of that. How often do we see articles and stories about cancer patients or AIDS patients that wanted to try an experimental drug that was still in trial phases? The cancer patient is dying. They are stage four. They're saying, look it, I've seen your trials and it looks like some people are having some success there. I'm going to die anyway. 
please just let me have that trial yeah. drug. And the FDA in America, and I'm sure the same thing Canada will say, no, it's really important that we establish safety with this product in the in the placebo trials before you receive it, even though you're going to die anyway. So look at that. It's unethical, yeah. you know, to have a perfectly healthy child not receive a vaccine in in a in you know in a trial, but someone who's dying of a disease, it's ethical to deny them. Wow, you know, the product <laughs> in a trial. So I mean, it, it, it's insane. Yeah. And in fact, by the way, in those trials, there are people dying of cancer who are not or receiving a placebo. That's how the drug mm -hmm. has to be approved. We yeah. know they have cancer, and we know they're dying, and we're giving them a saline placebo because we've got to see does it cause other problems. It's a good study. We should stick with that. But why is it vaccines aren't doing the same? And, and lastly, here's the point. The point is, is that. Whether or not it's ethical or not, what everyone in Canada and everyone in America has got to now understand is that your health departments have now admitted that they've never done the official gold standard safety study on a single childhood vaccine that you are giving 16 vaccines and 72 doses by the time your child's 18. It has never been through a safety study. Okay? That's wow. the fact. That's what they've admitted to us. So now recognize that you are part of an experiment. And what I get to is we have to ask ourselves, are we surviving that experiment? Is the experiment working? Everyone wants to talk about eradicating polio, which mm -hmm. happened before any of us, you know, before I was alive. You know, so that's not even a part of my generation. What I have seen and what we can prove is that in the 1980s, when we were getting 10 vaccines in America, we had about 12.8% of our children had chronic illness. That included either autoimmune disease or a neurological disorder that stays with you for life. 12.8%. Now that our vaccine program has exploded to 72 vaccines by the time you're 18, we've increased to 54% of children in America have a chronic illness now. Wow. They either have a neurological disorder or an autoimmune disease. One in six children in America now has a speech delay. I'm sorry. That is not the society I grew up in. The kids in my class were not we didn't have these gigantic special needs classes filling the school. We didn't see all of the funding going from, you know, our advanced preparatory classes. Those are disappearing. All of the education of our really smart kids, all the money to make them the next president or the next scientist is disappearing because it's just feeding these growing massive classrooms and schools of special needs children who have either neurological disorders or autoimmune diseases, ADD, ADHD, at a level they cannot sit still. They must be drugged. We're having to drug our kids to get them through school. So are we, is this experiment actually working? And someone will say to me, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, and I, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because you know that has always been one of the concerns from my side is it's one thing to say you know here's the immediate right I give you a vaccine and I can see you know the kids eyes go crossed and they're ne they're never the same that's an immediate effect right my concern has always been what is the long term implications right and you know I I'm, I fully get that you know the whole correlation and causation you know I. I I think I share that with you where I don't want to say this is the definitive thing because there's obviously environmental factors, there's other stuff going on. But um, that stat for me is shocking. 54% is, is yes. astounding. And I see that in my practice every single day. I see it, yeah. right? I see that in the classroom. But here, here's, um, here's something that, you know, because this is where the conversation gets sticky, right? People are going to say, if I can't prove something that's going to happen in 30 years' time, 
or I can't look back 30 years and say, oh, well, you had a vaccine at age two and now you're 18 and you have an autoimmune disorder. Well, we can't put the two together. So therefore, the argument's done, right? So vaccines are safe. And, and that is actually what people, um, that's the discussion that goes on out there. Um, you know, you yeah. can't prove the long-term consequences of, of the vaccine. And therefore, if you can't prove it, it doesn't exist. Right. Which in my mind is completely nuts, right? So that statistic is crazy. You just uh, blew my mind yeah. here. Yeah, it's it's crazy and it's factual. You go to the CDC's website and you'll see all of this. And and so you're right. And and this is where our health departments are getting away with continuing to say it's safe. But they will. And if you watch my show, The High Wire, which I do every Thursday, I talk about this all the time. I I will show you so many instances where this is proven out. But what they do is they don't do the studies they need to do so that they can say, well, no study shows that your multiple sclerosis was caused by the hepatitis B vaccine. What they mean is there have been thousands and thousands of reporting from people saying, I got multiple sclerosis right after I got a vaccination. It started with some sort of arthritic feelings, and then I lost tingling, and, and next thing I know, I couldn't move my muscles, things like that. We, we Thousands of reports like that. So that's what we call a signal, okay? That's a signal. So if you are going to say as a, as a health department, we're never going to do a safety study on the vaccine because it would be unethical, then certainly you have to have some capture system when you're watching society that now have this totally, they're being tested upon, how do we catch, and this was our next question at the NIH, this is what we got into. Once you've admitted you've never done a safety study, then what is the surveillance system to capture right. injuries by vaccine if they're happening? Because someone's got to be doing that. And what we see is that those injuries are being captured, but the, the health departments are not investigating them. And so let me really lay this out. First of all, I want to say that when people say, well, why do you blame it on vaccines? Don't you think, you know, this rise in autoimmune disease? Now, remember, people sit there and say, my, vaccines work for my kids. They're perfectly healthy. Right. And then I'll say, really? They don't have diabetes. They don't have ADD, ADHD. They don't have an anaphylactic food allergy. I was like, oh, well, they do have a food allergy. Well, that's a vaccine injury. Your kid didn't survive it. These things we're seeing, we're starting to, the new normal, eczema all over your baby's body is a vaccine injury. That was not supposed to be. You're asking yourself, why did I not have eczema growing up, but all of my kids do? Well, that's a vaccine injury. Here's my point. We have a crisis of autoimmune disease in America, and I'm sure Canada too. Oh, yeah. All over, okay? yeah. And, and I had a scientist come up to me and say, well, why do you blame vaccines? How do you know it's not the water? How do you know it's not the steroids in our meat or the pesticides and herbicides in our food? And here's what I have to say. I say, I think it could be all of those things are contributing. And I think we should be spending millions and millions of dollars on all of those things. All of those products are dangerous. And our FDA and CDC are approving these things on our food. Mm -hmm. We should be looking into that. But when we talk about a rise in autoimmune disease, which means my body or the ch my child's body is now fighting itself. The immune system is confused, is now attacking their own body, okay? That's what an autoimmune disease is. If we're talking about a crisis of autoimmune disease, shouldn't we be looking closest at the one product that is designed to alter your immune system for life? Doesn't it make sense that if my body's immune system is confused, I should be looking at the thing that's confusing it? And if you ask any doctor, what does a vaccine do? It says, well, it tricks your body into thinking it's <laughs> had an illness, right? It tricks your immune system. Well, we're not just tricking the baby's immune system one time on the day they're born or six times at two months or 10 times or 20 times or 50 times, 72 times now we are tricking our baby's immune system, our 
child's immune system and we're shocked that half of them now have an autoimmune disease, that the body is confused, come on. It, you don't need to be a scientist to say that that doesn't make any sense. So that's where the conversation should begin. And then we look at, right, how do we test it? So here's the numbers. Here's the actual numbers. In the United States of America, we have the only capture system we have, the only surveillance system to capture who's being injured by a vaccine is called VAERS. It's the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. If your baby has seizures right after getting a vaccine, that your doctor is supposed to report it to VAERS, all the information about your kid when they got that vaccine. Yeah, can, I, can I interject for one second? Sure. Is, yeah. is, VAERS is a self-reporting system? or is uh, the- it's, a, it's, a, it's a voluntary reporting system right. that okay. you can self-report or a doctor can report. Okay, so that's you. important for listeners to know as yes, well. Yes, it is. It's self-reporting. It's not, you know, right. The, right. the reporting rates are actually quite low. Right. Uh, So in America, in 2016 alone, now I want to preface this by saying we always hear vaccine injuries are one in a million. One in a million get (laughs) injured by a vaccine. How many times do you hear that, right? Okay, well, let's look at the real numbers. In 2016 alone in America, there was 59,711 reported injuries. 2016, just one year, 59,711 reported injuries. 432 deaths were reported after vaccination in there. 10,000 emergency room visits. Okay, so already to say that, you you know, to say that one in a million is being injured by a vaccine would mean that 59,000 million people live in America. Okay, so obviously somebody's (laughs) not telling us, okay, right? So, but here's what's even scarier and and it gets to your point. There have been internal studies done by Health and Human Services, which is our mothership. That's the, that's the, the, the head of all of our health departments. They have investigated VAERS and the accuracy of VAERS themselves. And their own report came out saying that VAERS is capturing less than 1% of the total injuries that are occurring from vaccination. Now, wrap your head around that. That means that the head health department in America just said that it's 1%. That means that 59,000 reported injuries turns into 5.9 million potential injuries in 2016 alone. That's one year, yeah. One year. 1% means that 432 deaths turns into 43,000 potential deaths from vaccination in one year. Okay. That's why I'm investigating this. That's why I am really nervous. And that's why when doctors tell me it's safe, I don't believe them because I'm looking at the real numbers. I'm not making this up. Health and Human Services runs this system. They tell us it's only 1%. I'm going to take their word for it. That means these injury numbers are far greater than we have ever been told. Mm. Wow, that's uh, pretty shocking. I mean, I actually thought it was it was around five percent. So less than one percent is pretty mind numbing, actually. Even uh, take five percent, take ten percent, exactly right, ten percent, exactly. right? Then you're yeah. talking five hundred thousand injuries. You're talking four thousand deaths. You know what I mean? This, uh, given the benefit of the doubt, go all the way to ten percent. It's still horrific numbers. Yeah. Um, so that is what we are trying to address with my nonprofit. Uh, here in America is we want better data. And so now when we look at, and there's some great videos out, if you go to the high wire, we'll, we've been excerpting from a deposition of 
Dr. Stanley Plotkin, who has made more vaccines, his living godfather of vaccines. He's made more vaccines than anyone alive. He is on the board of every vaccine maker in the world. Uh, and this guy was deposed in a legal case. He actually decided to step forward because there was a, um, um, a custody case where a father wanted to vaccinate the child in Michigan and the mother didn't. And so pharma brought in Stanley Plotkin on the father's side. This was awesome because for years, we, you, you, know, you started this program out by saying there's this huge debate going on. The truth is, is there is no debate. They will not sit down across from me in a debate. They won't sit across from Bobby Kennedy. They won't sit across from all of the great doctors we have and have a debate on this topic because they know they'll lose. They just keep pumping out their bumper sticker slogan, vaccines are safe and effective. We have wanted a debate. We've wanted answers to the questions like we got at the National Institute of Health, and we've wanted them in public. Well, Stanley Plotkin volunteered himself to be a part of this case. What he didn't know is one of the greatest lawyers that understands this issue was going to be on the other side. So Stanley Plotkin sat in front of a video camera, and there's a nine-hour deposition that is now wow. online. You can look it up on YouTube. Just look up Stanley Plotkin. If you watch the whole nine hours, it'll blow your mind, or you can find the excerpts from it. But what this guy admits to should terrify everybody. And what you get is this. When we get a VARES report, and let's say there's thousands and thousands, as we know, you know, tens of thousands of parents have said, my child's autism started right after the vaccine, okay? And different vaccines. Some say MMR. Some say DTaP. Well, that is a signal. And the CDC sees these signals. They see that there's common injuries being reported. And so multiple times they've gone to the Institute of Medicine. I know I'm throwing around a lot of big words here. That, that, that's okay. You, know, you may have to go back and, and listen to this a couple of times. To, so, yeah. But the Institute of Medicine, what that is, is that's a private group of our greatest scientists in America. They represent the Nobel laureates and everybody that doesn't work in government. So when the CDC wants to do a study outside of government and say, let's give it to the smartest minds we have, they'll say, for instance, in, in 2011, will you look at the top 155 most common injuries being reported after a vaccination? And look at the vaccines that are being blamed, like MMR, DTaP, you know, the list. And see if there's literature showing that the vaccine can cause that, that issue. Well, in 2011, this happened. They were looking at about four or five vaccines, and they had 155 common injuries. The Institute of Medicine looked at it, and they came back, and what they said is, well, for, for like, I think it's 12 of these injuries, they're definitely being caused by the vaccine. There's literature all the, over the world that proves it. And for about, you know, six of these injuries, there's literature that proves that the vaccines aren't causing it. But of all the 155, 138 of these issues, these adverse events, these problems being reported out of vaccines, there's not a study in the world that's ever looked at it. We cannot confirm nor deny whether the vaccine is causing things like transverse myelitis, which is paralysis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is reported, mm -hmm. it's even listed on most of our vaccines as a probable side effect. Again, paralysis, uh, sudden infant death syndrome, all of these yeah. things, you know, we don't know. We absolutely have no idea. Now, the problem is that it's, it's now 2019, and the CDC hasn't done a study on those 135 unknowns. That's what they're supposed to do. If you're giving an untested product to the public and you have thousands and thousands of reports of 135 different conditions, you're supposed to now investigate those conditions, but they don't. 
they avoid doing those investigations. In fact, I did a show talking about that one of these reports came out in 1994. 1994, they said, SIDS, we don't know if the vaccines are causing it or not because nobody's doing a study. Cut to 2011, you know, what is that, 20, nearly 20 years later, yeah. 2011, and the SIDS is still on the list. And it's still, they're saying there's not a study that exists. That means that sudden infant death syndrome and sudden unexplained death, even though parents are reporting the day they got the vaccine, their child died, or the next day, or within three days, the child died. That means the CDC and your health departments do not care. And they keep telling you, SIDS, we know, is not caused by vaccines because they simply won't do a study looking at it. So. Right. <laughs> I think because they know the answer. I think it's because they must know that if they look into it, that they are going to see issues. When we say vaccines don't cause autism, do you know that there's only one of the 16 vaccines that's ever been through studies that can say the, that studies show the vaccine doesn't cause autism? That's the MMR vaccine. And if you watch Vaxxed, you will see that the, the principal foundational study that established that the MMR doesn't cause autism is a fraud. It's a fraud, and the scientist that was the head of it comes out and tells you it was a fraud. But somehow, out of that one vaccine being tested, they are telling you all 16 vaccines do not cause autism. That's fraud, too. You can't say that. In fact, wow. the Institute of Medicine in 2011, during that same study, was asked specifically, does the diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis-containing vaccines cause autism? And you know what they came back and said? There is not a study anywhere that has ever looked at the DTaP or Tdap vaccine and autism. So we can neither confirm or deny whether the vaccine causes autism. And you know what? When you go to the CDC website in America for vaccine safety, the first top of the page, it says vaccines don't cause autism. Vaccines, plural. You know what they quote, they cite as proof of that? That 2011 report that only looked at the DTaP vaccine and the Institute of Medicine said, we can't confirm or deny whether the vaccine causes autism. That's their proof that vaccines, plural, don't cause autism. This whole thing is a hoax. It's a scam. And I hate saying it. I'm talking about my government agencies, you know? I never wanted to say that our government wasn't doing the right thing. I want to believe we're being protected by our regulatory agencies, but the proof is in the investigation and that's the work I've been doing. So if yeah. people want to look into that, they can go to my website at ICanDecide.org. ICanDecide.org has white papers and all of this listed. You can go to our government pages where we've been challenging Health and Human Services to a direct written debate. You can read all about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I want to come back to that because, um, you know, obviously you've had some issues here in Canada, which we'll touch on in just a minute. But it, just, just, you know, Simply, I mean, uh, this is a, a long, a long discussion, and I'm glad we're having a long discussion because it's required for this type of, uh, you know, um, unpacking uh, of this yes. issue, right? So, so coming back to the safety here, um, you know, now that we've looked at numbers and we know that there's no safety studies, et cetera, et cetera, what are the sort of main issues? with regards to safety? I mean, we discussed aluminum earlier, we yeah. um, discussed glyphosate, but what are the sort of big, the, the big issues that you've discovered in your work? Yeah, so I think aluminum is really big. I think that's, that's there's so many studies around the world. Um, and, and just look them up. Like I said, Chris Shaw out of British Columbia, amazing. Dr. Chris Exley in the UK, Roman Girardi in France, and Zibin Yao in China is doing amazing studies. And just so people can really understand what we're talking about, some of this looks like, like especially Zibin Yao in China, 
he's sort of put the whole puzzle together because all these different scientists have focused on different things. Why are the mice and the rats and the monkeys having neurological disorders from injected aluminum? And what we're seeing is that it's actually the inciting of the immune system. That inciting the immune system, as you know, is is a is a inflammation event. It's causing inflammation in the brain. And we're doing it 72 times to our children. We're inciting inflammation at a time where all of us are, you know, trying to get more antioxidants to reduce inflammation. Right. We are all having issues with autoimmune disease. And what is it? It's inflammation problems. Yet the vaccine is designed to cause inflammation. That's what it does. It sends the body into essentially an allergic reaction so mm -hmm. that the, the body attacks the virus or creates antibodies. That's what's going on. But what we're finding is that aluminum is, is causing a neurological event. It's causing an inflammation in the brain and specifically inciting a cytokine called IL-6. Now, you don't really mm -hmm. need to fully understand this, but here's the principle. IL-6 directly links to a brain inflammation and a resulting autism, you know, autism. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we know that aluminum, inciting the immune system, incites and wakens this cytokine in our brain to start releasing tons of IL-6, which ends up being problematic. In fact, when they want to study autism in mice, they just inject them with IL-6 huh, because it immediately makes the brain function in an autistic way. So if that's the case, then we really need to look at aluminum. So that's that's a lot of what's going on out there. But Beyond that, there's also studies that are really fascinating looking at the aborted fetal cell lines that are being used. Right. Okay. Yeah, can you speak to that a little bit more? I will. Because this is, for a lot of people, this is a, a, is a religious problem. The fact that we're taking, first of all, we're aborted babies. We've aborted babies. And, and Stanley Plotkin, that guy I mentioned that was on the stand, yeah. he admits to aborting over se or using 78 fetuses, aborted fetuses in studies he did many years ago in just one study. So when they say it's only two aborted fetuses, this one scientist admits in one study he used 78 fetuses. So the numbers are huge. But what's interesting is we have, many of us have a moral or even religious problem with injecting DNA from a dead aborted baby, okay? That is in vaccines. The MMR vaccine has it. The varicella, that's your chickenpox vaccine, has it. And uh, hepatitis A, I believe, uh, also is grown on it. And, what, and how does the DNA get into the vaccine? Well, here's what happens. It's the rubella part of the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. Rubella is grown on these aborted fetal cell lines, and it's, they're re reproduced. But when we grow them on that DNA, when we extract it to put it in the vaccine, there's no way to pull the DNA out. And so now the DNA is being carried to the vaccine. Well, what's interesting is in the scientist's infinite wisdom, they recognize there may be a problem to have floating DNA strands in a human body. They didn't really do any studies on it, but they said, you know, it may not be a good idea. So here's what we should do. Let's chop these DNA strands into little tiny fragments. And that's what they do. They blend them up so that they, they call it ripping at the base tears. So they, they tear it into little pieces, thinking these floating tiny pieces of DNA code are okay. Well, here's the problem. Dr. Teresa Deicher in um, Seattle, Washington, she is one of the top stem cell scientists in the world. She discovered the adult heart stem cells. So at the time where all the discussions were stem cell therapies coming from aborted fetuses, we in America, George Bush stopped all of that. And then, and then Obama came along and said, no, I'm going to allow that science to continue. 
And then there was a lawsuit to stop it for ethical reasons. This whole time, right at that same time, Teresa Dyser had found that I can harvest your own stem cells. We can harvest adult stem cells. They actually work better than aborted field stem cells. Well, she has been looking at this. So what she is, is proving through multiple studies is that the problem with these floating, floating little pieces of DNA that chopping them up may have been the worst idea because when uh -huh. it gets into our body, our cells grab that code and they mutate. They take on those, those, that little section of letters huh, and they take it into their own DNA. Now, that wouldn't be a problem if you have millions of cells. Okay, so you mutated one cell, who cares? But what her studies are proving is for some reason, our stem cells are traveling through our body to these fragments and grabbing the fragments and it's mutating our stem cells. Those are our wow. creation cells. And once a stem cell has that mutation, it starts repeating that prolifically and spreading it throughout our body. She believes this is what is leading to the high rates of childhood leukemia and cancers we're now seeing in our children wow. and also to brain inflammation and, and leading to autism. So that's a fascinating area. Wow. So it may not just be that it's an abomination uh, biblically to inject dead baby stems or cells into your body. It actually looks like that's a scientific problem too. And then you can look at polysorbate 80. This is a product that we put into drugs so that the drug can cross the blood-brain barrier, right? Huh. Now, the whole argument with vaccines is that they don't enter your brain. The anti-vaxxers are wrong. It's not getting to your brain. How could that possibly be? The product you put in your drugs so that a drug can get to the brain is polysorbate 80, and polysorbate 80 is in virtually every vaccine we get. Wow. So we're already creating a pathway by which these mercury and aluminum and aborted fetal cell lines can go straight to our child's brain. And, and, and of course, to the tune of 72 vaccines by the time you're 18 as well. Right? 72 so, times. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And I mean, let's not also forget uh, the formaldehyde that's in there, which is a right. known, I mean, that's a known carcinogen, um, according to government. Uh, yeah. So the, the list goes on, it seems. Um, Propylene glycol, you know, which is essentially, you know, antifreeze. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much junk in this. And, you know, I just find it fascinating. Well, you know what? Let's get to the discussion because that'll be you can we'll talk about the discussion I had. Yeah. In, so in let's so, so so now now that we've sort of painted that picture, let's move into the sort of third um, area here, which is, uh, you know, obviously public discourse. There's huge division um, between the pro and the anti-vaxxer camps. But this is now starting to spill over into uh, policy. This is starting to spill over. You know, we discussed off air um, how Pinterest, you know, one of the big social media platforms, they've essentially booted everyone off there who is against vaccinations. Uh, Facebook, literally at time of recording uh, two days ago, has now sort of upped the ante on these uh, anti-vaxxer Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. um, I, I suspect that all of the other, you know, the Twitter, uh, YouTube, these other um, platforms are going to follow suit pretty soon as well. Yeah. So what do you, what just, what's sort of going on out there in the world of policy um, and, and from, from the government side of things? I mean, where are we at? It's nothing short of what I believe is a complete takeover by the pharmaceutical industry um, of I, I think they've taken over our government agencies in many ways. I know that sounds very conspiratorial or whatever, uh, but I can speak to it in America. I don't understand how it's working in Canada, but in America, the most powerful lobby in Washington is pharma. 
Pharma is outspending oil and gas, this, the number two spot, two to one. They spend twice as wow. much money buying politicians and setting policy than the energy industry. And then third comes the military industrial complex lobbyists. So pharma is above all of those. Mm-hmm. And you should just ask yourself the question, what are they doing there? Why would pharma that makes billions of dollars, why do they need governments? Why do they need government agencies? And I believe it leads to this one product. It's not about drugs. There's no reason for them to be bothering politicians about drugs. They have this great product, this product they convinced everybody you need to have that will be forced upon the public. You have forced consumers. There's nothing like it in the world. A vaccine is in a category all by itself where our governments are forcing it upon us. And it used to be 10. Now it's 72. People should know that there's thousands of vaccines that have already been approved that are, are in the mm-hmm. pipeline. Those those lobbyists and those health agencies that are all been, when you look at your health department, those are all, even in Canada, I have to imagine, they're all people that used to work for GlaxoSmithKline or Merck, yeah. or after working at the health department as the head of the health department, they will go on to a multi-million dollar salary after their time in the government working for those those industries. It's, it's just a revolving door. It's a revolving door yeah. worth Same thing with millions, the FDA, the EPA. Exactly uh, right. Monsanto's and all of it's all they're all like one big happy family. Uh, exactly in- right. And so they're all setting up a program of a product you can't deny. And so and add to that that so now I mean this is where it gets crazy. You have a product as I've told you has never been tested for safety. And on top of that it's being forced upon you. And then in America, we take it a step further. It's the only product that the pharmaceutical industry makes that we can't sue them for because we passed a law in 1986 indemnifying them from any liability, any doctor, any hospital, any drugstore, anybody that goes near a vaccine, you cannot sue them when it injures you. So it's this perfect storm uh, of deceit and deception in in a science, science as we know, if, we, if you've been in a high school science class, you know that Einstein and Galileo and every great scientist of their time has always said that there's no such thing as settled science, that mm. all great advancements happen because one scientist went against the consensus thought of the time. Every single evolution and advancement in science comes from one person, not all of them. And so consent, you know, consensus means nothing in science except that our governments and our televisions and everything is telling us that the consensus around vaccines is that the science is settled and we shouldn't be having this discussion and you're dangerous if you're having this discussion. What's dangerous is allowing a science to happen that isn't having this discussion, especially a science done by the pharmaceutical industry that loses billions of dollars in lawsuits every year for defrauding the population, for lying to us about safety studies they knew about that hadn't worked out in their favor. So when you see those lawsuits and you think that industry gets a free ride on one product, the one product I have no choice about, I mean, it's, it's, wow. it's scary. And, it's and of, of course, the knock-on effect then is if, I, if you uh, have these adverse effects that cause long-term complications, now we can also sell you more drugs to manage those as well. So, so it's a great way to create repeat customers um, in a very sinister uh, way, you know? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly a conveyor belt, and whether that's on purpose or not, if it's not, boy, is that a happy accident for the industry that the very first product we're injecting you on day one is setting you on a course to need drugs the rest of your life. Here in America, 
one in four school-aged children is on a drug they'll be on the rest of their lives. Wow. That's, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah. And that wasn't like that 20 years ago. No. Not even. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so you recently, um, and this is sort of revolving around the political uh, slash social spectrum here, um, you were all set to speak at an event here in Canada, uh, one of the, the sort of, I would say one of the biggest um, health conferences here called Total Health. Um, yeah. And you basically got booted. Uh, so what happened? I, uh, yes, I, I had a reporter reach out to me named, uh, named Carly Weeks from the uh, Globe and Mail. And she had sent an email uh, because I had spoke, I spoke at Total Health last year yeah. um, about the issues of vaccines. And so she um, reached out via email and said, essentially, I'd like to interview Dell uh, about his misleading facts and, you know, sort of was, was, was clear she had an opinion about what I was saying. And I think she was probably just hoping I would just deny it because it looked like she was going to attack me anyway. And then I would just not respond. And she could say, we reached out to Dell Bigtree and he didn't respond, but I did respond. I said, fine, yeah, let's do an interview. And so uh, we did about a 15 minute interview on the phone and she asked me questions about my stance and she published them the next day in an article that I think it said prominent vax, you know, anti-vaxxer Del Batry to speak at Total Health. Um, and she just took a couple of excerpts from what I'd said, you know, I stand by everything I say, and even though it was truncated, I think it would be important for people to see the full context, but whatever. She, she printed what she had to to try and incite uh, an issue, and that's what she did. And my understanding through Total Health is that the Canadian broadcasting company, CBC, reached out to sponsors of Total Health and threatened those sponsors of, you know, if you want advertising or, or somehow got the sponsors to then pressure Total Health that they would pull out if Del Bigtree spoke at Total Health. And so within a very short period of time, Total Health came under, and this is a, this is a great convention that I think is over 40 years, 40 years they've been having this convention, you know, and allowing free thought on health. You don't have to come and hear Del Bigtree speak. It's your choice mm -hmm. if you want to. I mean, isn't that what free discourse, isn't that what our nations are supposed to stand for? But instead, Canadian Broadcasting Company obviously doesn't want even the option for people to hear what I have to say at the convention. And so those threats from sponsors to pull out were, uh, you know, harsh enough and dangerous enough to the financing of that conference that I, I, they had to pull me, uh, which is fine. I don't hold them accountable. I think they're coming under a lot of heat. A lot mm -hmm. of people are really angry about it. I understand, you know, it's a huge event and it takes sponsors to do it, but that's the problem with sponsors. That's what happens when you start taking on advertising. That's why our TVs and our newspapers that take on pharma advertising tend to not tell us the truth. So anyway, within a day, I guess I got pulled. And then the very next day, there's another article that prominent anti-vaccine, you know, um, skeptic or whatever, Del Baytree is pulled from uh, Total Health. And I I'm sure Carly Weeks is feeling like it's a real coup, but I'll be honest with you, you know, for me, uh, I might have gone to that event and spoke to, you know, maybe 500 people, 1,000 people if we were in the big room. But now I have tens of thousands of Canadians ringing our phone off the hook, you know, all over our website and, and looking at my show, The High Wire. And I'm going to address everything that was said. That actual discussion is on my show tomorrow, The High Wire. Just go to The High Wire with Del Baytree on Facebook. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, tomorrow I'm going to address exactly the conversation that I had with Carly Weeks. In fact, I was videotaping myself 
as I do everywhere I go because I'm, I'm basically, you know, always transparent and documenting everything I do everywhere I go. So I had a video camera running and I'm going to play the full answers to the questions that I was mm. asked. And then people can decide if she thinks that she reported uh, correctly. But I think it's scary. Look, to have, to have uh, your media, to have your news, which in America we call journalism the fourth estate. In America, our founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson spoke to how important it is that we have journalism, that journalism is what keeps a democracy sound and safe because it, and journalists always have to, they cannot be afraid to ask the uncomfortable question, to challenge your government, to challenge your agencies, to challenge industry. That is what keeps a democracy in America like ours safe and clear. And so the information is out there. But now that we start seeing media owned by the pharmaceutical industry, 70% of the advertising in America is being done by the pharmaceutical industry during you know, presidential election years. Those, that's a massive control over free speech. And to see the Canadian Broadcasting Company wow. you know, essentially blackmail people and push people to stop free speech on all of the issues that I clearly have pointed out there's nothing I say that is not backed by either the CDC, the FDA, Health and Human Services, or, or, or science that's published in medical journals. I haven't given you a single stat today that comes from, you know, the chiropractor down the street or the <laughs> acupuncturist or, you know, some, some herbalist. Though I think those are great things you can do them. That's not where my information comes from. I am a medical journalist. I have been investigating our science and that's where my information comes from and the second article by Carly weeks they actually say that i'm spreading false information they don't say right. what false information they don't quote me anywhere what false information are you talking about you know frankly i don't know what your laws are up there but i have a thought of suing them because mm -hmm. that is defamation defamation to say that i'm somehow spreading false information if i'm spreading false information why don't i have merck suing me why isn't GlaxoSmithKline suing me when I say you've never done a safety study with a placebo? That I'm I'm hurting their product. They could sue me tomorrow. Yeah, they for a lot of money. Not for they're billionaires. Yeah. They should do it. Why are they not doing it? Because I will win in court. That's mm -hmm. why I'm not being sued. That's why I can say what I'm saying. And so for the for the Globe and Mail to say I'm spreading false information, you know what? You should have to back that up with some facts, and they don't right. have any. Well, for, for, for me, this is very troubling um, because I, I'm getting a sense that this hasn't, you know, I know it's been going on um, sort of below the surface uh, for quite some time, but I feel like as this whole discussion um, has, has ramped up, uh, it's pr becoming pretty clear that the narrative coming out of media, they don't, no one is, no one is in, is in the anti-vaxxer camp at all. Um, yep. I haven't seen one of, of, aside from independent independent media bloggers and whatever else, but mainstream media, there is no single publication that I've seen that has even chosen to take an unbiased like view, right? Or even, which, which even you, allowed you, for a debate. Like, how about if, if 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 Globe and Mail wants to do something spectacular, if the Canadian Broadcasting Company wants to do something spectacular, why don't you have me debate the head of your health department? Why don't you sit down and let the public hear what I have to say against your top professional? I'll do it. I'm not afraid of it. I think that would be a very important debate because, by the way, I'm only here because I care about children's health. I'm not here trying to end the vaccination program. What I'm saying is, why aren't we all focused on making it safer? 
Why are we giving the pharmaceutical industry a free ride, the same industry that's created this opioid ep epidemic, the same industry that, you know, talcum powder, Johnson & Johnson just lost a multi-billion dollar lawsuit because the talcum powder we have been sprinkling on our baby's genitals for the last 50 years had asbestos in it and is causing cervical cancer. And they knew it. And guess what? Our FDA and CDC we trust have been telling us talcum powder is safe for the last 50 years. That's why, as a journalist, I am here questioning these things. Someone has to because these products are causing more injury, I believe, than anyone realizes. Yeah, and I 100% agree. I mean, the, 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 the frightening thing for me is that we just now have one side of the story that's constantly being hammered at us every single day through media, through magazines, publications, whatever else, straight out of doctors' mouths, out of CDC, FDA. It's the same one narrative that's just being hammered. And all efforts are now being made to completely shut down the other side of the discussion. For, for, for me, that's, that's mind-blowing. Um, in 2019 that, you know, again, full circle, that social media platforms are now banning people. Yeah. Like that, that, yeah. that, that's crazy. I mean, social media are yeah. the most powerful media outlets in the world. And, you know, the, 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 that's a whole topic for another day. You know, um, they're privately owned companies, yet they have massive influence globally. Yeah. You know, I mean, Facebook now, I think a third of the global population is on Facebook. So, yeah. so, you know, so, so the argument there goes, well, they're a private company, they get to do whatever they want. Yeah. But on the back end of it all, it's like, this is an important discussion that needs to happen. And you're, how, why is it that you're choosing one side and trying to shut down the other side on your platform? Why not let it, let the discussion unfold? You know, and obviously it comes back to lobbying and all the other stuff, but it's pretty crazy to, to find ourselves in, in this position. So to me, it's the most powerful religion in the world today. That's really what we're up against. This trumps the Catholic Church. This trumps, you know, Islam. This is the most powerful religion in the world. And what I mean is people may sit there at home and say, I'm a Christian or I'm a Jew and all, you know, wonderful. I, you know, my point is, is that you drop your religion the second your doctor tells you you're going to die if you don't get a vaccine and you trust that vaccine. Even though, I mean, and I, I talk about this all the time. Let's just talk about the spiritual side of this. Even though when we look at Adam and Eve, you know, which is, you know, the basis of, of many religions. And then, or you look at the Ten Commandments that even reaches into Islam, you know. Mm -hmm. These are codes of morality we share. And those stories tell us that you are born perfect, your body is perfect when you're born. You were created in the image and likeness of God. And then we are told, you know, in, if, if you're in the Old Testament, I find this interesting that, you know, Adam and Eve go off on their own and, and God only really gives them one rule. Just don't eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Don't essentially, don't think you're smarter than I am. Don't try to outsmart nature because you will cause problems. You will eject yourself by doing that from this beautiful space you've been born into, from your perfection. You will hurt your own perfection. That's what we're warned. And then what happens, Adam and Eve go and they do eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And God comes back and they're covered with fig leaves, you know, and, and leaves. And, and he says, why are you covered? And they said, well, you know, the, the serpent told us we were naked. And God profoundly states, who told you you were naked? 
And by that, he knows someone told you you weren't perfect. Who told you that and why did you believe them? And I would say, who told you you needed 72 vaccines by the time you were 18 years old to live on this beautiful planet that God's created? I can also tell you this story through Darwinism, that if you are an atheist and you don't believe in the creation story, then let's look at evolution. Do you actually believe that our bodies have not adapted to the planet we live on, that over the thousands and thousands of years we've been here, that we haven't learned to live in concert with the bacteria and the viruses and the microbes that are everywhere? They're in our gut biome. They're through and a part of us. We are not alive without bacteria and viruses. Some of them are good, some of them bad, all of them working together. If we are not evolving, then we're the only animal that isn't. And one of my issues is that look at evolution. If we look at ourselves now in the last, from as I point out, from 1980 to now, so in the last 30-something years, we have devolved. We are the only animal that is sicker today than we were 30 years ago. We are the only animal that now has autoimmune systems. Our immune system that through millennia has been developed perfectly is suddenly malfunctioning, suddenly gone wrong. We're the only animal that is moving in the opposite direction of evolution. Maybe we should ask ourselves, should we be injecting and getting science involved in the natural process, in the beauty of life. Are they doing it the right way? Because every one of these vaccines is causing a problem it didn't think of. As I pointed out, your babies are now susceptible to measles because you were vaccinated instead of getting the real disease. Your baby is now susceptible to pertussis because you're a carrier and you don't know it because you don't feel your own cough. All of these things are problems pharma is creating and our televisions and everything we listen to are chanting this religion of vaccines. And it's a religion. Why? What is the definition of a religion? Faith in something that cannot be proved. Okay? Well, you haven't, as I've pointed out, proved that vaccines are safe. Yet you need me to have faith when you tell me it's safe without ever having done a double-blind placebo study. I am supposed to have faith that the CDC and the FDA, even though the heads of it used to work for the industry that makes vaccines, that they are doing the proper studies to make them safe. I am supposed to have faith that then when there's 59,000 reported injuries, which looks like it could be 5.9 million injuries based on their own numbers, that you're investigating those injuries and doing studies. I have to have faith you're doing that. I have to have faith that my pediatrician doesn't just listen to the CDC and the FDA that's telling them a bunch of lies about the studies that are not being done, that they do their own research. I have to have faith that the drug makers are making 17 vaccines, soon to be thousands of vaccines for my health and not for their bottom line. I have to have faith that all of this is working to make us a healthier nation. And I'll tell you this, with that much faith, let's call this thing what it is. It's a religion. And we are supposed to have freedom of religion in these countries that we live in. Wow. Well, that encapsulates everything beautifully and perfectly. Um, I think on that note, Del, let's wrap it up. We've been going All right. for a while here. Uh, <laughs> but I'm so happy that we have actually had the time to sit down because, you know, one of the challenges that we have out there is 
we, we're firing off Facebook comments, right? And there's no context, there's no background stories or anything. And it requires long form discussion yeah. to really unpack a lot of these things. Um, so I want to thank you so much for your time today. I mean, this has uh, really been uh, amazing, um, a very dense two hour discussion, but um, I've had a great time sitting down, chatting with you, learning from you. Um, I I'm loving the work that you're doing, and um, you know, I just want to want to throw that out there as well. Mad respect to you um, for being courageous and for for taking this um, out there because I know taking this and putting it into the public space um, is it, it can't be easy. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of backlash, there's a lot of pressure. Um, the climate is getting hotter and hotter all the time um, with this. So uh, keep on going, right? Keep on going, keep on researching, keep on. Um, before I let you go, where, you know, I'm going to throw some links down into the show notes, yeah. folks. Um, so I can decide was one. Um, yes, I can decide.org. You can read, you know, with citations, you know, go to, we have a government tab, which is a debate I've been having with the health and human services department. You can see their responses to our questions. And then we lay out how those responses are insufficient. I have white papers on aluminum. You can go to the white papers and discussions, and you can see the science behind that. All of this is science back. That's my nonprofit, ICanDecide.org. And then every Thursday, I do a show called The High Wire with Del Bigtree. Uh, you can look it up on Facebook. Uh, we broadcast out on YouTube, and soon we're going to have a website, thehighwire.com. Uh, but check out that show. We've done, we just did our 98th episode. It's going to air tomorrow. Nice. I'm going to, as I said, play the video of what I actually said to Carly Weeks at the Globe and Mail, and you can make your own decision to think of whether she appropriately uh, represented my thoughts and facts. Uh, but, you know, all of this, while we're around, get to the high wire before Facebook closes me out <laughs> so that I can tell you where else to find me. Uh, but it's, you know, this is all information. I'm so glad you're sharing it. And the truth is that people have to recognize as much pressure as this coming from the pharmaceutical industry and from, you know, the CBC and our governments and our health departments, the reason they're getting so intense is because our message is actually winning out. We yeah. are the ones discussing the science. The science is actually on our side. You will notice that everything I'm doing is pointing to where I got the science, where it comes from, where you can find it, and all they respond with is they're lying, they're lying, they're lying <laughs> without a single reference to a scientific article anywhere. Mm -hmm. I think that that's why they're losing. I think they thought that we were stupider than we actually are. And people are starting to recognize, I don't like that my pediatrician cannot name the ingredients in the vaccine they're about to give my child. I don't like that all they have as a response to my questions about vaccines is, trust me, they're safe. Trust me, they're safe. I'll tell you they're safe. And they never show you a study. Yeah. Uh, we're going to win this. In the end, we're right. Uh, but it is a very scary time. Darkness is always scariest before the light. Nazi mm -hmm. Germany was scary all the way up until the last minute. Those that were right, you know, felt depressed. It was hard to stand up against those things. We are in that time. We are fighting something that is really insidious. And, and what the problem is, is it was a product that was supposed to be good for us. And mm -hmm. that's what makes it so difficult. But guess what? So was the Catholic Church. Catholic Church was supposed to be good for us. And we see that many, many people have suffered at the hands of, of priests and nurses, I mean, and nuns and all of these stories coming out. I have nothing against the Catholic Church, but what it proves is that even when the truth is there, it takes a long time to uncover it, especially when it's something that was supposed to be for the betterment of society. Right. So keep up the pressure. Uh, is Will do. Thing. Keep up the pressure. So awesome, Del. Um, great to sit down and chat with you. For you guys listening out there, 
Um, I hope that you have learned a lot from this episode. Um, this is longer than we usually go for, but I knew it was going to be that type of conversation. Um, please, please, please share this with your friends, with your family, with your communities, uh, anyone else who is wanting to look at both sides of the vaccine picture here. Okay, so um, thanks for tuning in as always. And if you enjoyed today's show, uh, consider subscribing, reviewing, sharing, and doing anything you can to help me bring more awesome guests like Dell. So we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, thanks again, Dell, and you folks out there, have yourself a beautiful day wherever you are.